Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Hey, this is Kevin Kelly, the voice of Ring of Honor Wrestling, and you are listening to Three Count Thursday. You got it? Three Count Thursday. Make it happen. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Three Count Thursday here on NGSCSports.com. I am your host, Jim Neese, and in just a minute, we're going to bring in our co-host, Matt, and our very special guest in the first segment. We'll get to him in just a moment as well. Just to remind everyone about NGSCSports.com, where we never stop. Visit the site for all the podcasts, all the written content, and much, much more. You can podcast all the shows on Spreaker, iHeartRadio, the TuneIn Radio app, by searching NGSC. You can get this show directly by searching uh, Three Count Thursday in your podcast store. It's, uh, and when we talk about our show, it's always the number three and never the words. So Three Count Thursday in your podcast store. We're also part of the Wrestling Informant 247.com and ArenaSportsNet.com networks. You can syndicate our show on Fridays at 11 p.m. Eastern time on ArenaSportsNet.com. Wrestling Informant 247.com. That is all day, every day, as well as from not only us, but also the Ring Geeks, Wrestling Informant Radio, Outside Interference, and more. Check that out. You can follow us. Make sure you follow us on all of our social media. We are at 3 Count Thursday on Twitter and Instagram, and we are on Facebook at facebook.com slash 3 Count Thursday. Let's bring in our co-host, Matt. Uh, Ryan is on vacation. I was on vacation a week ago. Ryan and Matt held down the fort. Now Ryan's away, and then Matt is back in the uh, co-hosting chair tonight. Matt, how are you? I'm doing well tonight, Jim. It's it's great to be here again in in the co-host seat. Uh, a lot different than being the stat guy, so I don't have the comfort of being the behind the scenes feeding you guys lines. I'm actually doing it now. So uh, well, you it's did fun. You, 
You know, you did great last week. Uh, we did our uh, live podcast talking about the Hulk Hogan situation on Sunday mm-hmm. night, and uh, and we're back here tonight. Of course, we have our special guest uh, on the line. We'll get to him in just a second, the Patriot, Dell Wilkes, with us tonight. But also next week, next Thursday night on the show, uh, this is making up for the, uh, for the scheduling conflict from, uh, from last week. Patrick Clark from this season at Tough Enough will be joining us next Thursday night live at 9.30 Eastern time here on Three Count Thursday. So a lot of great stuff in the pipeline, Matt. Yeah, it's, it's going to be great, uh, you know, having a great guest tonight and another one next week. Um, just we're, we're trying to get as many great wrestling minds as we can to call in and, and share some more insight because, I mean, we can talk all we want about, about wrestling, but these guys have actually done it, so it's great to get them on and, uh, and hear what they have to say. Absolutely. So let's uh, let's not delay any longer. Let's bring in our co-host or, our, or excuse me, our guest for tonight, uh, the Patriot Dell Wilkes. Dell, welcome into the show. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? We are doing very good, and and thank you again for uh, for being a part of the show. Uh, I know for a guy that that grew up a huge wrestling fan, to be able to talk to somebody with so much experience in the business that you have is uh, is truly an honor for us. Well, I appreciate that, and I grew up a huge wrestling fan as well, So, and still am. All right, very cool. So, uh, you know, growing up, you said, you, you know, you were a wrestling fan. Give us just a little bit of a background about your childhood, where you grew up, and, and what attracted you to professional wrestling. Well, I grew up, born and raised in Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, still live in the Midlands of South Carolina, been here all my life, and um I'm 53 years old, be 54 in December, and when I was a kid, uh, what we got to see here in Columbia was uh, Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling with Bob Cottle. Uh, it came on Saturday mornings, and like most shows back then, was in a small TV studio, and uh, I went to my first live event when I was 10 years old in Columbia, South Carolina, at the Township Auditorium, uh, a legendary wrestling venue. And uh, I don't remember much about the night, but I do remember the main event. And that was Rip Hawk and Sweet Hanson against the Briscoe brothers, Jack and Jerry Briscoe. And I left there just blown away. I'd watched on TV, but that was the first time I'd seen it live. And I couldn't sleep that night. I was so excited. And uh, then a few weeks later, uh, I saw Dusty Rhodes cut a promo on TV. And uh, it just blew me away again. And uh, from that point on, I just fell in love with it and uh, made sure to watch it every Saturday. I wouldn't miss it. That's awesome. I mean, to, to have that passion so long. Now, before you went into wrestling, you played college football at South Carolina. Um, what's your most fond memory of doing that? You know, what was it like to be a part of a major college football program like that? Well, it was great, and especially – for a, a kid like me that grew up in Columbia, South Carolina, that's where the University of South Carolina is located, and uh, my grandfather, my dad's father, and two of my dad's brothers graduated from the University of South Carolina. So through them, uh, they helped cultivate a love of everything Gamecock, uh, and especially Gamecock football. And so I had a deep sense of appreciation and history of Carolina football long before I committed to play football there, but it made it really special to be able to go play uh, in a stadium that I visited as a kid 
I'd heard so many stories about so many great players that had played in that same stadium, and now I was wearing that same uniform. And uh, had a great career there. I was there from 1980 through 1984. Great teammates. Uh, started out my freshman year in 1980 with one of the greatest one of the greatest college running backs ever, uh, George Rogers, my teammate. Won a Heisman Trophy. Had the opportunity to block for George, and then I finished up my career in 1984. At that time, uh, we went 10-2 that year. And at that time, we were the first team in school history to win double-digit games. And at one point, we were 9-0. We were ranked second in the nation and uh, just had an unbelievable year. And I was very fortunate that I had a special year myself. Not only did the team have a great year, but I had, had a very special year. My teammates voted me captain of the team, most valuable player of that team, and then I was voted the first team consensus All-American. And at that time, there was only one other consensus All-American in school history, and that was George Rogers. Since then, we've had two others, Melvin Ingram and Jadavion Clowney, that have become consensus All-Americans. So I'm in a, a very, very good club of consensus All-Americans with those three guys. I'm very proud of what I was able to accomplish at the University of South Carolina. Yeah, I bet. It's just a, a tremendous uh, line of accomplishments. So you were you were there from, from 80 to 84, and then in the later 80s, you, you made the transition to professional wrestling. Um, you know, what made you make that switch, and then what year was your first match, and who was it against? Well, I had determined probably my freshman year in college. Um, I had several good friends of mine that attended the Citadel, a military school in Charleston, South Carolina, and uh, one of them, uh, he and I were big wrestling fans, and we would watch on Saturdays. He would come up to Columbia and spend the weekends with me, and uh, we'd watch wrestling, and we'd go to the live shows at the township, and I determined probably my freshman year that whenever football ended for me, if it was after college, it was if I had an NFL career, at what point, I wasn't sure when football was going to end, but whenever it did end, that he and I were going to pursue uh, a career as a professional wrestler. And there was a school in Columbia that was owned and operated by William Ellison, the fabulous Miller, one of the most famous lady wrestlers of all time. And uh, I was released by the Atlanta Falcons uh, prior to the start of the 86 season. So it was at that time that I came back to Columbia. Uh, I think it was $1,500 that it cost me uh, to train at Mula School. And we trained there, and she just had... Um, She'd have, you know, run shows throughout the state. And my very first match, I can't remember who it was with, but it was in, it was in late 1986. And it was in, um, I think it was in Denmark, South Carolina, at an old high school gym. And there may have been 50 people there. And uh, but that was my very first match. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, that's that's, Certainly, probably an easier transition than wrestling in front of thousands of people right off the bat. Um, how much of a difference is there between wrestling um, in Japan as compared to what we're used to in North America here? Well, I can't speak for now, but when I was in Japan, uh, one thing it was really, especially those within the industry, uh, the boys and, and and the bookers and anybody anybody involved with pro wrestling. Uh, to have an opportunity to go work in Japan for Baba or Noki, uh, I had the opportunity to go work for Baba. Uh, that was really that was a big deal. It was a big honor. 
Uh, it was a feather in your cap to go work in Japan. If you could work in Japan, you could work anywhere. And I was fortunate that I worked in Japan uh, for Giant Baba and all Japan pro wrestling at a time when their, when their business was the best it had ever been. I mean, the best they probably had ever done. And um, it was different. It was a stiffer, more snug style. Uh, but it had to be because our TV show came on Sunday nights. It was one hour, and it was nothing but wrestling. There were no interviews. There were no promos. There were no countouts. There were no double DQs. Uh, every match had a clean finish, one, two, three. Somebody got their head raised. And uh, so the believability of the product was very important. So thus, it led to a more stiffer style, uh, a more believable style. And I was fine with that. I come from a background of football. I'm an old offensive lineman. I was used to knocking heads every play. And, you know, so I, I was fine with that, and I loved it. And um, so that was a little bit more different. I know I've worked a lot of shows in the States where you, where you walk and talk, as they say. And uh, you can do some walking and talking and avoid locking up for 10 minutes. But uh, that didn't happen in Japan. Uh, once you locked up, it was on. And uh, the finishes were phenomenal. Uh, we had 15, 20-minute finishes. We just, you know, kick out after kick out after kick out after kick out. So um, it was just a different style, but one that I really I really enjoyed and adapted to it very well. Yeah, I know. Uh, our, our co-host uh, who's on vacation tonight, Ryan, and I uh, watched the New, New Japan Wrestle Kingdom 9 show. And yet, like you said, it was four hours of just match to match to match. There was points we actually had to stop it to, like, get up and walk around because we're not, we're not used to that kind of uh, just this back-to-back matches. Like, we got tired watching it. I can only imagine what it was like to work that style of, uh, of match. It was, it was something completely different, and, and it's actually kind of birthed the love of the Japanese-style wrestling, uh, you know, for Ryan and I, and, and we get the opportunity to watch um, some New Japan programming here in the States now. Well, and I have watched uh, their their show a few on a few occasions, and I enjoy watching it. And I would um, I would encourage anyone, uh, certainly now with YouTube and all the things that we have uh, accessible to us, uh, to go back and watch them all Japan from the uh, late '80s through the early to mid '90s. It's just phenomenal, phenomenal matches. And I have um, I've done a lot of podcasts recently, and I always uh, mention. You talk about a, a roster of talent. Um, uh, obviously, was on the American bus, but on that bus with me was Stan Hansen, Terry Gordy, Dr. Death, Steve Williams, Johnny Dace, Abdullah the Butcher, Dory Fuck Jr., my tag team partner, Jackie Fulton, the fantastic Doug Furness, Danny Crawford, occasionally uh, Davy Boy Smith. Uh, man, that's a Hall of Fame lineup. And then you jump over to the Japanese bus and you've got Baba. Jumbo, Masawa, Kawala, Hawaii, Kabashi. It just doesn't get any better than that. Yeah, it's, it, that, that's an incredible lineup. Um, and then, of course, you know, for, for guys like me that, that grew up primarily watching the WWF at the time and obviously called the WWE now, uh, when did your conversations first start with WWE begin and, and, and how, did that, how did that process go? Well, it, it, it first the first time uh, that I actually sat down and, and talked with Vince and went up and worked for Vince was in the early 90s. 
uh, they brought me up for a couple of dark matches. Um, and then Rick Martell was hurt, and uh, they brought me up for probably about uh, a month worth, worth of shows. I was out on the road and, and um, you know, traveled with Kurt Henning and John Nord and the Road Warriors and uh, had an opportunity at the end of that uh, month worth of shows to sit down with Vince and, and talk about going to work there, but the timing just wasn't right for me at the time. Uh, so it wasn't a, it wasn't until the late uh, '90s that again I had the opportunity uh, to meet with Vince and sit down with Vince and uh, talk about um, going to work for him. And I ended up signing a three-year deal uh, in uh, I think it was 1997, and went to work for Vince. And uh, I, I was excited about it. Uh, obviously, I loved what I did in Japan, but uh, when it comes to that worldwide notoriety. Uh, in that worldwide audience, uh, nobody does it like Vince. And uh, so it was a great opportunity for me. And I was excited to be back home and to work for Vince. Uh, you know, the negotiations had started in, I think, 91 or 92, and it finally came to fruition in 1997. Now, can you uh, kind of walk us through, like, your debut, you know, who it was against, um, you know, what you were feeling going in and then how you felt coming out of, of the first match for the WWF? Well, once again, I'm going to have to say I can't remember who my first match uh, was with. you got to realize that uh, there's been a lot of blows to the head and a lot of medication, and that tends, sure. to, cloud a, tends to cloud a memory. <laughs> but um, I think my debut was, um, I don't remember what city it was, but it was on wall, and... Um, uh, the Hart Foundation, you know, Owen and, and Brett and Baby Boy and, and Brian Pillman and all those guys, um, and me and Austin, Sid, uh, I think Ken, Ken Shamrock, we all uh, walked through the curtain at the top of the ramp there uh, that mm-hmm. night on TV, and that was my first, or I think that was my introduction uh, to the WWF audience, but I don't remember who I worked with that night, but I... I had no no apprehension, no nervousness. I knew all the guys that were there. We had worked together at some point in time in our career. Uh, our paths had crossed at some point in time. Uh, so it was, you know, it was business as usual. It's just that this time I was doing it for the WWF. Very cool. Now, you talked about working with the Hart Foundation. Growing up, uh, Bret Hart was always my personal uh, favorite superstar. What What was it like to work? with Brett. I know in, in interviews and documentaries and things, he's always said that he was a very stiff, realistic style worker, but he never hurt anyone. It, can you kind of attest to that? Was he a guy that um, was a very stiff worker, but you were very safe in the ring with him? Yeah, absolutely. Um, as a matter of fact, working with Brett was just like what I had been used to for all those years working in Japan. It was really no different. It was snug. It was stiff. Uh, a little stiffer, uh, nothing unbearable, and I was fine with that. Uh, as a matter of fact, I preferred that style of work. Uh, there were no funny moments with Brett. He wasn't out there to do a comedy act to make people laugh. Again, it was about the believability of the product, the believability of the work, and uh, that was right there in my alley. So uh, I enjoyed working with Brett uh, the time that we worked together, and uh Again, it was it was a lot like all Japan Pro Wrestling, and and he did. He uh, never hurt me 
I don't know if him hurting anybody, and I felt the same way that I worked a little stiffer, a little snugger, but uh, to my knowledge, never hurt anyone either. Now, you said you signed a three-year contract. Um, all, you didn't get through all of that. What what kind of um, made you come to the decision that, you know, you it was time to retire? Well, unfortunately, it wasn't my decision. My body gave me no other alternative. Um, I had worked in all Japan twice on two different occasions. The first time I was there for a couple of years, I left, went to WCW, stayed there a couple of years, went back to Japan maybe for a couple of years, and then had the opportunity to go work for Vince. But I had uh, sustained two very serious injuries uh, my last go-around in, in, in all Japan. One uh, is I blew my knee out. It's a knee that I have since had replaced twice. Uh, and trying to work with a knee that literally was just like a bomb had gone off inside of it was tough. I had to work with a big, thick, uh, heavy knee brace that was very restricted in movement and things like that. And then I tore my tricep. I literally, literally ripped my tricep tendon off the bone. And as the doctor described it, it rolled up the back of my arm like an old-fashioned window shade. It just rolled up the top of my shoulder. And um, I had it reattached and it tore again. Uh, so I knew going to work for Vince and signing my three-year deal with Vince that I would be fortunate if I made it the whole three years. Um, I was hoping that I could. Uh, I knew that I was not, you know, exposing myself to that stiffer type work that I'd done all those years in Japan. I was back in the States where maybe it would be a little easier on my body, but unfortunately, uh, my body would not cooperate. And um, I had a conference call with Vince Jr. and uh, my orthopedic surgeon, and uh, we all agreed that uh, it was in the road for me. I, you know, I just had these chronic injuries and that were going to require major surgeries, and uh, I could no longer go. So, uh, unfortunately, it was over at that point. Now, uh, in your career, we know that you worked. There was times you worked as a uh, as a in tag team action and also, the, of course, the singles competitor. Was there one that you preferred one over the other? Now, I know, you know, from us, seeing you in WWF, you were a singles competitor, but did you prefer tag team wrestling, singles wrestling, or were you uh, kind of equal on both? Well, I was equal on both. Um, I enjoyed working the singles uh, matches and working as a singles wrestler, but then there was the excitement of working tag team matches. And, uh, you know, we're having four guys in the ring and sometimes six. Uh, so, you know, there were good points to both, and I enjoyed doing both. Um, it just so happened that at the time I was in WCW and Bagwell and I teamed up as Stars and Strikes, there were a lot of good tag teams in WCW at that time. The Nasty Boys, Harlem Heat, pretty wonderful with Orndorff and Roma and Jimmy Golden and Robert Fuller, and, uh, and there were others. And then in all Japan, uh, it was uh, a lot of tag team wrestling. We had one tour uh, of the year that singled on, uh, that focused just on single matches. Uh, but most of the other time, it was all about tag teams over there. And uh, so the excitement that those tag team matches would bring uh, was a lot of fun. But uh, I enjoyed equally working as a singles performer, too. Uh, now, I have to ask your, your theme song, Metal, um, that. That was yours first, and then you passed it to Slaughter, and then 
I mean, most fans would probably recognize it as Kurt Angle's now when they hear it. Uh, was there like a passing of the torch behind that, or was that just something that WWF kind of it was theirs and they, and they assigned it? No, it was theirs and, and they assigned it. That's a, a good way to describe it. Um, I uh, I had been out of the business several years by that point, and um, and you know with them passing it on to Kurt, uh, uh, as they say, um, the most uh, what is it? Imitation is the most sincere form of flattery. Um, mm-hmm. I took it. I took it as a compliment that they would uh, put that wood slaughter uh, when they did, and then pass it on to Kurt. So, uh, but that was totally up to them. That was theirs. I had nothing to do with that. Now, over the course of your career, you had a lot of great moments, and and even had some championships in your time. Is there any that stand out that mean more to you, or or is it just kind of your whole career you look back on fondly? Well. Uh, it's a collective thing. I look back on my time in the WWF, working with Brett and uh, and getting my hand raised. I think it was in Pittsburgh uh, on Monday Night Raw uh, against Brett. Uh, that's a big highlight. Uh, being in WCW with Bagwell and winning the tag team belts there twice. Uh, that was a big deal to me. And, of course, it was a big deal to me in Global uh, to have both belts uh, at one time. Uh, you know, I was still in the early stages of my career. This was an up-and-coming company. We had a lot of great young talent there, and it was mixed in with some great veterans, some guys that had been in the business that were already established stars. And for those guys running that company to think enough of me to put both belts on me at one time. Uh, and then um, Jackie Fulton and I, uh, he wrestled as the Eagle uh, to my character, the Patriot. Uh, we won the All-Asian Tag Team belts and won those belts against uh, Kobashi and Kikuchi. And uh, that was a great tag team. So, you know, it's uh, all of those things together. It's like uh, it's like preparing a meal. Maybe sometimes those ingredients by themselves aren't very, very impressive, but when you put it all together and mix it up, it comes out to be pretty doggone good. And uh, I look at my career that way. I, uh, there, there are just a lot of highlights throughout my career. I was very fortunate to worked with every major company that was in existence uh, during my career. Uh, at that time, from AWA, the Global, the WCW, WWF, All Japan, uh, there were a lot of guys that had the opportunity to do that. So I consider myself fortunate that I did have that opportunity and, and uh, to contend for belts at every level, at every stop along the way. Now, most of us wrestling fans know you as the Patriot, but you also... Um were the trooper when you first came in with AWA. Um, how much input did you have in, in the creation of both of those characters, and um, did, did you enjoy one over the other, or are they both, you know, kind of very important to you? Well, I'd like to tell you guys what a creative genius I am and what a mastermind I have uh, with my creativity, you know, but to be perfectly honest, I had nothing to do with either one of them. Um, when I went to work for Vern in the AWA, uh, I, I was uh, going up and worked as Del Wilkes. And one of the guys back in Columbia that helped train me at Moolah School had a full-time job as a deputy sheriff in one of the neighboring counties here. And uh, he just worked shows on weekends, and he would work as a deputy sheriff. He just called himself the super enforcer. Well, after I'd been up there working for Vern a couple of months, he called me up and said, hey, man, 
If I send you a highlight tape of my matches, would you pass it on to Wahoo and Vern and Greg? And I said, yeah, absolutely, send it to me. So he mailed it to me, and uh, I turned it over to Wahoo and him and Greg, and Vern looked at it, and they came to me a few days later and said, look, we have no interest in him, but we got an idea based off what we saw on his tapes. And uh, then they presented to me the idea of the trooper. And, um, and that was important to me, that, that character was, because that got me my first big break in the business. Uh, I got to work on ESPN. Uh, Monday through Friday from 4 to 5 o'clock. Even though they were on life support at the time, the AWA was at one time a very big deal in our business. So to work for them on ESPN and for them to push me the way they did, uh, that character is very important to me. But then uh, when you uh, go to Global, and I had no idea when I flew out to Dallas for my first TV taping for Global that I'd end up working as the Patriot. I had my trooper gear with me. And just a few hours before we headed over to the Sportatorium to tape our first show for GWF, uh, Joe Petticino and Bill Eady approached me uh, about doing a patriotic-themed character called The Patriot. So once again, I had very little to do with the thought process and the creativity there, but both of them worked out great for me. And both of those characters are very special to me because, you know, had a lot to do with the progression in my career. Uh, very good. Now, uh, of course, uh, you, you kind of touched on it very briefly. And, and, you know, for those that have heard some of the other podcasts that you've been on or know about the documentary coming out um, in your career and in, the, in your post-wrestling career, you know, you, you had a, a, a very serious struggle with painkiller addiction. Um, what kind of advice do you have for anyone today, especially in the wrestling business, to help them avoid kind of the, the situation that you went through? Well, I was of the mindset, and I think a lot of that comes from, again, that football background. Um, You've got to be out there, and you've got to go, and you've got to perform. And you can't let your team down, be it my team, the University of South Carolina Gamecocks, or All Japan Pro Wrestling, or WCW, or the WWF. That's my team. They're counting on me. They're depending on me, and I can't let them down. So I've got to work. I've got to go regardless of how I feel or how much pain I'm in. And um, so it, innocently enough, uh, my addiction started out innocently enough with a handful of pain pills that Kurt Henning had given me uh, to take before a match. I was dealing with an injury, and he said, here, man, try some of these before you work tonight. You'll be pain-free, and you can work like you're used to working. And it, it worked. And it was innocent enough. I had no idea that later down the road that would turn into 120 pain pills a day. Uh, But my advice would be this. Your body is your moneymaker if you're in this business. You've worked hard to get where you're at. There's only a few spots uh, in the business nowadays. There's only a couple of places to work. Take care of your body. Your body is your business. Your body is your moneymaker. It's your career. Your body is how you take care of your kids, your, your wife. It's how you take care of your family. So treat your body well. And if you're hurt, treat it properly. Don't just mask it up with a handful of pain pills uh, because it will do you no good in the long run. Had I taken care of those injuries like I should have when they first happened, I probably could have prolonged my career. But instead, I just tried to make the pain go away by loading up on pain pills. And then those two before a match 
ends up being an addiction that has completely got your life out of control and in a downward spiral. Just unbelievable how it went from two pills one night just to work. It ended up being 120 a day and losing my family, my freedom, everything. So take care of your body the right way. Mm-hmm. Now, you had the Kickstarter campaign, and you raised almost 6000 to get the documentary uh, The Man Behind the Mask funded. Can you tell us a little bit about the documentary, uh, what, what all it entails? Well, I was approached last year by Michael Elliott. He's done other documentaries on other wrestlers, and Michael does great work. Uh, it's not his full-time job, but it's a, it's a passion. He loves pro wrestling, and he loves telling stories of those that are in pro wrestling. So he approached me about doing a documentary on me. He said that as a teenager, he was a huge Patriot fan, that he looked forward to getting home from school and watching Global at 4 o'clock and watching the Patriot. And so it was an honor that he would think that much of me to approach me about doing it. And uh, like you said, we we far surpassed our goal of 3500 bucks, and I want to thank all the fans for donating, and I think we were 75 or 85 bucks short of 6000 So it was just a tremendous response, and I'm so thankful and appreciative. But this isn't just about wrestling. It's about my entire life. It's from birth to where I'm at today and everything in between. My childhood, you'll see my mom in the documentary. Uh, football, you'll see some of the guys I played football with being interviewed for this documentary, uh, George Rogers being one of them. Uh, you'll see a lot of the guys that I wrestled with and worked with in the business, Marcus Bagwell, uh, Bobby Fulton, George South, Jackie Fulton, Stan Hansen, Greg Daniel. They're all a part of this documentary. So it's all-encompassing. It, it covers my entire life. It goes into great detail and in-depth about my addiction and the issues that I had as a result of that. And it's also got a redemptive side of it as well, too, about how I was able to get my life straightened out through the help of the Lord and put my life back together and for 12 years now have been clean and sober. And uh, so uh, we're excited about it, and I think it's a great story. And one that uh, if it can help one person, man, it's been worth every, every bit of it. And hopefully it will. Hopefully it can be an inspiration to someone. Yeah, I know. I know. We're looking forward to to seeing that. We, you know, we've seen the the trailers for it, and we're very excited about it. Uh, Dell, we have a we have a listener that uh, is, is a huge, huge fan of yours, and he actually uh, his name is Chase. He he wants us to ask you: uh, Was there one guy in WCW or the WWF that you wish you could have worked with? Yeah, I um, I worked with him a couple of times in WCW. Bagwell and I worked. Uh, a mean, couple of meaningless tag matches against uh, Steve Regal and Steve Austin. Uh, but I've, I would have loved to work with Austin in, in WWF. Uh, I think that would have been a lot of fun. I would have enjoyed it. And uh, so, yeah, I, I think the, probably the number one uh, would have been Steve Austin. All right, very good. Now, is, uh, is there anything we missed, anything that you'd, you'd like to add uh, to the interview before we uh, find out where people can stay in touch with you? No, just uh, uh, through staying in touch with me at the different uh, social media outlets, uh, you can keep up with with our schedule. Uh, we're making appearances all over. Uh, we'll be in Ch- Charlotte, North Carolina this weekend at Fan Fest. I'll be there Saturday signing autographs along with a ton of other wrestlers. And then I've got the opportunity on Sunday morning at Fan Fest 
at the church service to share my testimony there. But uh, we'll have it posted, uh, all the other events. Uh, also, too, when the documentary is released, uh, they'll be able to go to my Facebook page uh, and get the documentary there. It's Dale Wilkes. Uh, I've got another one, Dale the Patriot Wilkes. Uh, so they'll be able to go to those outlets and get uh, and get the documentaries. And, of course, we've got our, our store open now with Pro Wrestling Tees, uh, and they can go there and purchase T-shirts. All right, very cool, Dell. Thank you so much for this interview. Like I said, just an honor for us two, uh, two lifelong wrestling fans to get a chance to talk to somebody with a huge, huge uh, uh, resume of experience in the business. Thank you again. Well, I appreciate it. Appreciate you guys having me on, and uh, appreciate you giving me an opportunity to, to push our a documentary. Absolutely. Thank Take you very care, much, Dell. All right, guys. Y'all have a good night. All right, you as well. So a very cool interview with Dell Wilkes, and, and, and uh, you know, just can't thank him enough for being a part of uh, of the show. So we're going to take our break. It's a little bit uh, earlier than normal, and uh, we're going to take our break now. And on the other side, we're going to talk some Monday Night Raw, uh, a little bit about Tough Enough ratings this week, the WWE Network, and more. Stay tuned to the second half of Three Count Thursday here on NGSCSports.com. For a better and healthier pick me up during your day or before your workout, give Neon Energy Drink a try. Neon provides a boost but without that unwanted crash and is formulated with natural sugars from 24% fruit juice concentrate, over 100% of six essential recommended B vitamins, and caffeine that is produced by natural green tea extract. So get a better boost from Neon Energy Drink today. Go to saradonafrio.bodybybye.com and enter promo code 3941356 to place your order. Welcome back to Three Count Thursday here on NGSCSports.com. And again, a huge, huge thank you to the Patriot Dell Wilk for the interview in the first segment. Um, I, I, I still feel kind of mad. I don't know about you right now, but I still feel like it's, it's like a surreal moment that we just talked to him. A guy that, you know, when, when we first saw him in the WWE, he was in a feud with, like, my favorite wrestler and favorite faction of all time. And we just got off the phone with him. Like that, I'm I'm kind of almost speechless, which is terrible because we have a whole second half of the podcast. Yeah, I know. I mean, how how are we possibly going to top that? We just got to talk to a, a legend of wrestling, and then now we have to put on a show where we try to analyze stuff that we didn't actually do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, you know, the show must go on, as you heard the. The promo there for the Neon Energy drink. Uh, just, just get one more plug in here. Uh, friends of mine, the Donna Frios, are doing what they what is called the Project Ten Challenge with Body by Body by Vi, uh, as a part of the Vizalis program. 
for every 10 pounds loss, if you join the challenge, um, you can, uh, for every 10 pounds loss, you, there will be 90 meals donated to hungry children. So again, saradonafrio.bodybyvi.com, and that is F-A-R-A-D-O-N-O-F-R-I-O.bodybyvi, that's bodybyvi.com. Use the promo code 3941356. Join the Project 10 Challenge, and uh, not only can you help yourself, you can help out uh, hungry children as well. So uh, just a great, great thing there. And um, we actually have Ryan on the phone. Ryan, on vacation. I made this special appearance last week. Now you're doing it. What's up, buddy? Oh, Big Jim. How are you? Matt, how are you tonight, buddy? How's it going, Ryan? Oh, very good. I hope you guys can hear me uh, uh, deep, deep away down down at the ocean. But uh, great, great interview. Just wanted to say you guys did a fantastic job. It was great to hear from Del Wilkes. I uh, wish I could have been part of the interview. Again, a special thank you uh, for him for sharing so much knowledge. The stories that he told was just fantastic to hear. Uh, it was a truly, truly a great listen. Well, we appreciate it, man. We thank you for listening to take the time off. Uh from from your vacation to to listen to us there, I know you're uh, you're down there at the beach. Have you been enjoying your week off, Ryan? Oh, it has been wonderful, wonderful. Uh, I have a ton more beautiful beach pictures to uh, to share with you guys uh, when I when I get back. Of course, I'll probably throw one up on the uh, three count page, giving you a view of, of what I'm looking. Maybe maybe tomorrow I'll be rocking my podcast three TC shirt all around town. Uh, gonna plug three TC or 3CT uh, down here at the beach. All right, very, very cool, man. And uh, But we got to get ready. You know, you got to get right back in it next week. Uh, one week from tonight, you're, we're going to have Patrick Clark on, so I know we're going to be pretty excited about that as well. Oh, very excited. I was thinking the whole way through, and I guess this is a great interview. I hope I can live up uh, to, to the good job that you guys are doing tonight. Uh, but, man, Patrick Clark from South and Off next week on the Three Count Thursday podcast. So excited for that. Guys, I'm going to let you go. I know you'll have a lot to talk about tonight, and here I am hogging up everybody's time. But uh, I think i got a margarita call on my name. You guys have a good night. Oh, well, wait, hard Ryan, life, how bro. much have you lost at the uh, at the boardwalk so far? Uh, sorry, what was the question? How much cash did you lose at the boardwalk so far? Oh, uh, way, way too much. I dropped at least $60 in the freaking arcade just uh, <laughs> last night alone in Ocean City. It was a disaster. Well, but man, I, got a really, I, got a really, I got a really cool Chinese finger trap. Oh, perfect. Perfect. That's what everybody wants when they go Everything, on Everything that I needed. Totally worth it. Yep. All right, Ryan. Enjoy the rest of the time off, and uh, and we'll talk to you next week, buddy. Hey, thanks, guys. We'll talk to you next week. So, Matt, let's, let's jump into Raw now. Um, this past week, uh, I, I actually thought that, that the – that raw the last couple of raw shows have actually been pretty solid. I, I I think they they've been doing a pretty good job, and and I I know I was personally a little bit nervous when you have, I think it was five five episodes of raw between uh, battleground and SummerSlam. Um, I thought they did a good job with the build to battleground, uh, and that was a five week build. So I was concerned that they were going to kind of gas out a little bit. Uh, but so far o- overall, and we'll we'll get to the the individual some of the individual segments here. But I think overall they did a pretty solid job again this week. Uh, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed Raw for the most part. I, I've been up and down lately, um, but I, I, I had no problems. I think the only down for me was 
Um, maybe two, but I mean the the tag division is just struggling at this point. It's it's almost a sorry sight to see. But that was really about the only thing that stood out as a negative on the show. Um, everything else I thought was really really solid. Yeah, it's it started off strong. I know Ryan and I when every week we kind of review Raw. We always talk about the opening segment because that's the hook. That's the moment mm-hmm. that's either going to get people to stay or or people are going to tune out. And, and probably change the channel. Um, I, I thought it started off really well. The only thing that was a little bit strange about the way it started is you have Triple H, Stephanie, and Seth Rollins in the ring, and Triple H and Stephanie are hyping up SummerSlam, um, announcing that it's a, uh, a, a four-hour pay-per-view. Stephanie announces Paige versus Sasha Banks. Um, they're hyping all this stuff, and, and of course, we're, we're trained to know that the authority is the bad guy, but when they come out and they... They promote the way they promoted this segment, and we know that they run the WWE. We we get that, but when they come out and propose, uh, you know, to to promote the shows the way they do, the the way this segment ran, it almost felt like Triple H and Stephanie were playing kind of a babyface role. And, and to me, and, and this is almost kind of getting nitpicky, but didn't it just kind of seem awkward the way? the way they were interacting in that segment? Um, it did until the end when you got Cena and Rollins out there, um, you know, and Cena talking about the match uh, and how, you know, he wants to wrestle for the title and, you know, Stephanie doing the whole, do you want to see that to the crowd? And then doing that no while she was dancing. I mean, I thought that was fantastic. But um, towards the beginning where they were kind of like, you know, carnival barkers. It was a little weird, and uh, I don't really know where the authority is supposed to fit at this point. Because you know, we all know them as the heels, but at this point in the storyline, they're responsible for this new divas movement, which everyone is supposed to be loving. So we're not. I'm not really sure where they stand at this point. Right, and, and you know that that's kind of the thing I struggle with because Stephanie, like you, you know, coming off, and and it seems like. In, in the over the last month or so, that they have kind of been starting to at least turn it maybe about twenty degrees, thirty degrees, where J and J security and and Kane and and Stephanie and Triple H kind of you know turns a little bit on the authority or the or or Seth Rollins is turning on Kane. You know, you saw that the the, the segment the other week when Kane had his ankle broken. Um, and, and Seth Rollins was blaming Kane for it and, and saying that it's Kane's fault. It was his stupid idea to begin with. So we're kind of seeing Seth Rollins become less reliant on the authority and the authority kind of becoming less of a, a heel faction, which I'm kind of okay with. I think Seth Rollins at this point in his title reign needs to become a little bit stronger and needs to be you know, a more self-reliant as opposed to relying on this faction because the the longer he relies on the authority, the more of a weak champion he's going to look. Um, so, so maybe this is the changing, uh, you know, changing of the guard here where the authority might actually be, uh, you know, become a, a face uh, authority. Yeah, and I mean, that wouldn't be bad. They they can certainly do a number of things with that. Uh, they just really need to make up their mind and do it um, because um, in terms of storyline, we, we need to kind of know, well, we don't need to know, but it would be nice to know, you know, who's 
who's supposed to be doing what at this point. Right, absolutely. Um, which, which you know, talking about us wanting to know or becoming predictable kind of uh, brings me to this quote. Uh, Bob Cook was on the Outside Interference podcast, which is part of the Wrestling Informant 24-7 network, and he said, uh, you know, so many people are saying that wrestling is predictable anymore. And he said it's only predictable if you sit there and try to predict it, which, which I love that quote because for me, you know, I've sat back – and in, in more more recently, I'd say in the last three to five months or so, where instead of spending the entire show on Twitter and interacting with fans, which I love to interact with fans, we do it all day. Um, but while I'm actually watching the shows, I've kind of put the phone down, put the iPad down, and let the show entertain me, kind of the way the way it did when I was younger, during the Attitude Era, when I was growing up watching this. And and when we're at, you know, the, the indie shows, LCW and, and Legacy Wrestling, when we're at these shows and we're watching the wrestling, we're not sitting there tweeting about it. We're absorbing the show, So and I've enjoyed that. And I've actually been enjoying WWE a lot more since I've been doing that. So it's like, let the show entertain you. Um, do you really like talking with the fans, Jim? <laughs> I get the sense that you do <laughs> um, There's... Some that I enjoy talking to less than others. I think that's plainly obvious. But I, I also like to stir the pot a little bit, as anybody that follows us on Twitter. For those that follow on Twitter, more times than not, if, if you're interacting with us directly, you're probably interacting with me. Uh, I kind of man the Twitter page more. Matt, you, of course, handle the Instagram page. We've talked about how your job is much, much uh, better than ours is. And, uh, and Ryan handles the Facebook page a lot. So uh, if you interact with at Three Count Thursday, there's a pretty good chance 85 to 90% of the time you're interacting with me um, because Twitter, I, I, I just, I interact with Twitter and I'm on Twitter a lot more than I am Facebook or Instagram. Yeah. And I mean, there's, there's healthy discussions to be had, um, but there are, and I do tweet a lot during raw, but, for certain matches, um, I'll just put the phone down and watch um, lately the, the main event matches. The ones that Cena has been in have been great that I've just sat and watched. And then at the end, I, I tweet my frustrations. Um, and then the the women's matches have all been, I wouldn't say they're all fantastic, but they've all been a lot better than what we're used to. And so it's getting me to actually stop and watch them because, you know, I want to actually watch them now. Whereas before, you know, when we would get, you know, the the Cameron versus Eva Marie or, you know, Nikki Bella versus Alicia Fox, it was just kind of getting stale. Now we have actual storylines. I find myself more putting down the phone and actually watching these matches. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, and, and like we said, that opening segment, uh, between Triple H and Stephanie, and then you had seen it come out and inter- interrupt Rollins. Uh, I thought it. I thought it kicked off the show pretty well. Um, and and Stephanie said, or they announced there would be two uh, divas matches, women's matches, whatever you want to call them, uh, on the on Raw again uh, this past Monday night. I think it's the second straight Raw that there's been two um, mm-hmm. two women's matches on the show. Uh, one was singles match, Sasha. Uh, Sasha Banks versus Paige, and then there's a tag team match, Charlotte and uh, and Becky Lynch versus Nikki Bella and Alicia Fox. 
Um, Matt, really looking at both of these matches, I, I thought both of them were very solid in their own right. And, and it's funny, we talk about the men and, and the tag team division on the men's side being so poor, but, uh, you know, this tag team match with the women was very good. I, I liked the way it was booked. Um, all of them put very strong work in. And, you know, Paige versus Sasha Banks was, was, was just a ridiculously awesome match. Uh, you know, we, we kind of have talked and we've seen the, the Twitter talk about uh, what people think of Paige and, and the character, if you want to call it that, that she plays on, uh, on Tough Enough. But, you know, when she gets in the ring, there's a reason she's made it to the WWE and, and Sasha Banks is uh, m- might be my my favorite in the division right now, at least the ones uh, at least from an NXT standpoint. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Sasha. I think at this point I'd lean more towards Becky Lynch, but I mean both are just fantastic. Um, and my only issue really at this point is um, I'm not really interested in the whole team thing. Um, I want to see the call-ups start, you know, putting on programs for the belt. And um, I think that needs to happen sooner than later or we're just, it's going to start to feel stale again that we keep seeing, you know, the singles match and the tag match. Um, You know, putting them on more doesn't necessarily mean that you're starting a revolution. We need to start getting storylines in here too. And I think right now we have a lot of women that are very capable of putting on a fantastic story. And I think WWE needs to get that in motion and maybe they are, and I'm just a little impatient, but I mean, we, we got that tweet from Vince about give divas a chance. I don't know how long ago we were at the Mick Foley show. So whenever that was, um, and back we're in, just, uh, like February, March, I think. Yeah. And now we're just now getting, uh, where we thought we were going to be a couple months ago. So, um, I think they really need, they have the potential to, to do something big, and I think they really need to start doing it soon. Um, you know, that the team thing is, is cute and all, but they really need to just let these women show what they can do in the ring. Yeah, absolutely. I, I have no problem. I don't necessarily have a problem with, with kind of the team lines. Um, it kind of, you know, helps. I think it, you know, helps fans who, you know, ha- haven't had the attachment to Charlotte and Becky and Sasha coming out of NXT, um, which, which by now with the, with the subscriber numbers of the network and stuff like that, which we'll talk about later. Uh, if you haven't, if you haven't gotten into NXT yet, it, it, it I, I don't know how, I don't know how, if you have the network, how you haven't gotten into NXT, but for those that still haven't, um, it kind of gives them, you know, who, who, whose side they want to pick. I know like when, when we went to LCW for the first time, it was who's good, who's bad, who's heel, you know, who are people rooting for? Um, because that's, that's kind of what we're programmed to do. So I think that that was the purpose of that, but I agree. I think it's time to start, you know, drawing battle lines and have somebody because you're now three rolls away from SummerSlam. And then you have to think that there's going to, there needs to be, a, a Divas title match on that card. I mean, it, they're, they're building it, obviously moving it to four hours. Uh, you kind of have a fan fest thing on, on like Thursday, Friday, Saturday. You have the big NXT show on Saturday night. You're really kind of building SummerSlam. I mean, we know it's the number two pay-per-view, but as WrestleMania of the summer. And, and so I think they need to make it that there is serious importance on the titles and there needs to be a, a, a Divas title match on that card. 
honestly, you know, for me, and it's not because that, uh, that I am such a huge Sasha Banks fan, but what I would love to see is Sasha Banks versus Nikki Bella and you not necessarily you unite the titles because there needs to be an NXT women's champion. But if Sasha Banks wins, she would relinquish the NXT women's title back to NXT, but then make the Divas title, get rid of the Divas title and actually make it the WWE women's championship again. Um, I don't know that we'll see that, especially because they're kind of calling this the Diva revolution, but a, a guy can hope. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, I mean, those two have the capability to... I I would not mind seeing them main event Raw next week for that very reason. Um, But I think we're going to get maybe the team thing at SummerSlam, um, which is fine if they're really showcasing all the talents that they have and then, you know, get a triple threat or a four-way at Night of Champions. But um, I think the call-ups have really elevated the game of the Bellas and um, to a lesser extent, Naomi, but they've all really performed better than we've seen them in the past. So it is promising and it is uplifting to see. It's just, um, you know, that they, they're kind of running the risk of idling at this point, and I want to see them move this forward. Absolutely. Now, I didn't have a chance, I don't know if you did, to watch uh, NXT uh, from last night, but, but is the... Is the women division over there with, with the three big call-ups, is the women's division suffering at all, or is it is it kind of um, giving giving some of the other NXT women a chance to step up and thrive uh, in, in that division? I mean, when you have people like Sasha and Charlotte and Becky all taken away at once, the division's going to suffer a little bit um, because, I mean, those three were the, the upper echelon. But, I mean, there's so many talented women down there at this point that um, I think we're going to start seeing, you know, some some really great performers come out of what they have, you know. And, of course, you know, Bailey and Emma are still down there, um, and they always put on fantastic matches. But I think we're going to see, you know, Cassie and um, Jesse kind of rise. You and I talked earlier tonight about Eva still improving. Um, she's not there yet, but being in the ring with talent like this, I think is going to help her more because she's going to be pushed as they're being pushed. And um, Alexa Bliss, Carmella, um, there's enough there that I think they can, you know, kind of rebuild um, and be fine. But I think right off the bat, it's probably going to suffer a little bit just because you lost three of your top four in, you know, one shoot. Yeah, so, um, you know, it's definitely something to keep an eye on. I mean, I, I love NXT, and I love what they're doing. Yeah, you and I, yeah, you know, Eva is still a work in progress, but uh, I, I definitely, I at least like what she uh, what she put forward last week, um, you know, in, in her first match down in NXT. Was it a little slow? Sure. You know, was there uh, room for improvement? Absolutely. But I, I, think, I think sometimes, too, as fans, and even I kind of get caught up in it when you see guys like Owens and, and uh, and and Finn Balor and and these guys that are main roster ready or guys we've seen on bigger on on other big stages in NXT we, we sometimes forget that it's still the developmental territory of the WWE. It's had a huge boom since 
this is the network and, and with Owens and Samoa Joe and Finn Balor has made it such a huge focal point and even credit to, you know, the, the matches with John Cena with the U S open challenge. Um, mm-hmm. But we, we, we've kind of gotten lost and kind of forgotten a little bit that it is the developmental territory. They are there to work and work on their craft and fine tune it and make themselves better to hopefully get back to the main roster. Yeah, and I mean, it's tough to even, you know, I understand it even gets criticized a lot, and I, I kind of just ignore it because I, she's not my favorite person, obviously, but uh, you can't really knock someone for trying. I, I know you watch Total Divas, so do I, the episode where Cameron decided that instead of being Naomi's valet, she wanted to go back down to NXT and train, um, you know, that that really elevated her in my book. You, you can't knock someone for trying to get better. And while we're used to seeing such great matches being put on in NXT, they're not all winners. And we have to realize, like you said, this is a developmental league. And, you know, the more they do down there, the better they will be when we see them up on the main roster. So I, I, uh, I'm kind of getting to the point where you're at where, you know, we we need to just settle down the criticism on someone who is in a developmental league. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even think think back to the, was it the first NXT special on the network when it was, was it the first or second one when Natty faced Charlotte? And I know you and I, and and I think even Ryan, were, were talking about it and we had seen some of Charlotte's work. And, and at that point she, she wasn't very good. And yeah. I thought, I thought you're going to put Natty who in my opinion is, is one of the top talented wrestling wise in the entire WWE right now for the women. You're going to put her in a match at, at, the, at the developmental with, I mean, I, I get it. It's the heart flair thing, but you're going to put her in that match and, it, and it's going to flop and she's going to look bad. And Charlotte thinks, and they tore the house down. And, and yeah. I think, to me, I think that was arguably my favorite match of the night, and it was like the longest match of the night. So, you know, that, that's what the, 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 the NXT is there for. That's what the training center is there for. And, you know, I'm not saying that Eva Marie is going to get to the level of Charlotte, but, you know, you saw the journey that, she, that she's gone through from where, you know, we couldn't stand to watch her to now we're like, Get her on the main roster. Let's get her in a you know get her in a title match. Get her to win the title. Which I mean, I think ultimately, you know, if, if I had to pick the first of the the three from NXT that's going to get the title, I really think it's going to be Charlotte. One because she has that name recognition that adds legitimacy to it, but also I think because she has a specific look. I mean, she she's big, uh, you know, she's tall, she's athletic, she she draws your attention, and I think more then Becky Lynch or Sasha Banks. And, uh, and I think it's going to be, you know, just a huge, huge launching point for the new Divas division in the WWE. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's no really wrong answer with what they're going to do next with that belt. Um, but I agree with you. I mean, Charlotte's probably the name alone makes her the most recognizable. I'm with you. I'd rather see Sasha have it first. Um, I think she's the complete package at this point. Uh, I've talked to some people on Twitter that Charlotte's still a little stiff, and it's probably because she's, you know, a good foot taller than everyone else. 
on the women's roster, so it's going to be tough for her to kind of, you know, look as fluid. It's the same with Big Show, you know. He looks a little stiff sometimes too, but he's definitely people that are, you know, six foot four, six foot six. So, um, and there's just a, there's a lot of promise with this, and I, I think we we're gonna I think we'll be satisfied when it all comes to fruition. I think I hope. Yeah, I, I hope so too. Uh, to, to kind of get back on Raw here, uh, you had you had Neville uh, defeating Fandango in a pretty quick match, but then you had Stardust uh, come up on the screen, kind of cut a typical Stardust, uh, you know, kind of creepy, eerie, um, you know, uh, not specific promo. Uh, and and I honestly like the idea of these two guys working together. I know there's been a lot of uh, rumor about. Um, Stardust taking on the the guy from Arrow, uh, but but personally, you know, I'd say scrap that idea and and put put him in, in an actual feud and in, in a match at SummerSlam because you know if, if you want to have the biggest, you know, the, the biggest best matches on your WrestleMania of the summer, um, you know, I think these two guys working together, and I know people have had their differing opinions about uh, whether or not Cody should be Stardust or or go back to being Cody Rhodes. But, you know, there's a guy that owns that gimmick, and I think he enjoys being the Stardust gimmick because it allows him to stretch that creative muscle, and I think he gets better at it all the time. And, um, and, and personally, the match that those two guys could have would be unreal. Yeah. Yeah, this is one of my favorite storylines that we have going right now just because there's so many possibilities that they could do with it. You know, it doesn't have to end with uh, Neville and Stardust. We could get, you know, factions. I've already seen some comic book drawing stuff coming out, which is really cool. And it could really um, take off marketing with kids and whatnot. So I really hope they give this program the run it deserves because both of these guys, I think, could use this feud. Um, You know, Neville's always been impressive, but he hasn't really had a storyline yet uh, since King of the Ring. And same with Stardust. We've seen both of them do fantastic things in the ring with other people. So to see them work together is just, I think they really need to stick with that for SummerSlam. Or if they're, you know, dead set on having the guy from, what is it, Green Arrow or whatever, being in the program, um, you know, get get a tag partner for Stardust and kind of make a storyline there and just have those two be the focal point of the match. Yeah, I, I think, I think that'd be great. Um, it just, cause I think those, those two guys could, could wrestle a match that would be arguably the best show, the best match on the entire card and could steal the show. Um, so it's going to be intriguing to see where they go from here. Um, Matt, the, the 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 only segment that really bothered me, and I know I think we talked about it a little bit on Twitter on Monday, uh, Monday or Tuesday, was the the Rusev Lana uh, Summer Rae segment, mm-hmm. and I the, the the thing that bothers me about it is is you know for so long you've you've built Rusev up as this you know almost uh, robotic you know, machine-like monster heel. And yeah. 
I understand you can only take that so far. And then he got the injury, and you had the split with Lana. And I was okay with that because then you see him just completely depressed, and, and there is actually some development more to his character. But now, to me, it, it, it's transitioned to where he's, you know, he's he's so smitten with with Summer, and he and he brings her, buys her a puppy, and buys her a, a headless fish, and um, and then Lana comes out and just you know is attacking Summer, and then they Summer ends up throwing the fish at Lana. I mean it. The 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 whole this whole feud it could have been okay, but but I just don't like the way they're actually producing it. I just think it really makes Rusev look soft. And, and honestly, if he loses whatever match is going to eventually come out of this or whatever his next big match is at a pay-per-view, you know, if he doesn't win that, then, then coming out of the United States title win, which I think elevated him to such a huge height, and I, and I understand the injury did not help. It was a, a terrible time to get hurt, not that he tried it. But, you know, to come out of losing the U.S. title and, and now to be involved in this, if, if he if he ends up losing in his next big feud or next big match at a pay-per-view, um, you, you, you all of a sudden have to get real concerned about where Rusev is going. I'm going to preface my counter-argument with this. Um, for those of you that don't know, Facebook Messenger now allows you to send gifts. And, Jim, I'm surprised you haven't sent us the one of Rusev throwing the fish down the <laughs> entrance ram yet because th- that, I mean, it has to be the best thing that's going to come out of this angle at this point is Rusev <laughs> throwing a headless fish <laughs> up the ramp. I mean, that's it's probably the worst thing that's ever happened in the history of Raw. But <laughs> the headless fish thing, I think, will live on longer than a lot of things that happen in wrestling. Um, so I can only defend it with the, the whole, it's so bad, it's good, because that's what I was getting out of this. You know, giving Summer a puppy named Dog Ziggler that looked like the most miserable dog in the history of, Dude, you know, dogs being domesticated <laughs> pets. It, it, was, it, it all just worked so fantastically, because this is just, like, people who probably haven't watched wrestling since the 90s, had they turned on that episode and seen that segment, they would have said, oh, I see how it has changed since the Attitude Era and turned it right back on. <laughs> What's funny is my, my supervisor at work, um, he, he has a buddy of his staying with him for, for a short time um, until he can move into a new apartment. And I guess the guy is a huge wrestling fan but hasn't had cable in a while, so I guess they were watching a little bit of Raw. He said he turned it on, and it was during this segment he goes, I had no clue what was going on. There was a scared dog, and then they were throwing a headless fish. I'm like, yep, that's that's exactly what happened. I, I, he's like, what the hell is going on? I'm like, I don't know. I, I, I don't even know how to describe it. I watch it every week, and I don't even know uh, how to describe what, what happened in that segment. But I know that dog looked terrified and looked like he would have cut off his own legs to somehow try to escape. Uh, from Summer Ray's arm. I mean, the the other good thing that is coming out of this is um, Lana's looking like a stronger character. Um, and, you know, we all loved Rusev, but Lana was really the focal point of 
those two. You know, Rusev was the, the powerful monster, but, you know, Lana was always the voice, and now we're kind of seeing some more character development with her, too, which, you know, only bodes well for the future of women's wrestling. You know, here's another woman who has no ring training, but um, she's already putting on a pretty good story between her and Summer, regardless of what they can do in the ring at this point. Um, so, I, I mean, if we get two more, you know, capable female wrestlers out of this whole thing, then I'll be happy with it. But I just, I don't, I'm with you in that I don't see where this is kind of going. If it's leading to Rusev losing to Ziggler, then I'm not going to be okay with everything that I've been defending up until this point. Yeah, no, I, I like, I do like what they're doing with Lana, and and it looks like, and, and based on a, um, a, a Twitter post or an Instagram post or something I saw from her earlier, it looks as though she may be training to actually work in the ring, which I think was kind of the question coming out of the Rusev stuff is, you know, well, if she, if she's not with Rusev, is she just going to be, you know, a, a different version of herself, a, a face version of herself with somebody else? Because I, I don't think that would have done her justice because of how good she was as a heel. But if she can come out of this and actually be physical and stand on her own, she doesn't just have to be that, you know, that, that blonde-haired, good-looking valet that bats her eyes. She can actually be physical and, and, and get involved in her own feuds and fight her own fights. And, and yeah, I mean, I'm okay with that. But, but just making, making Rusev into this comical, uh, you know, character that, that, you know, could possibly lose to, to Dolph Ziggler and, and I mean, what, what is that? What purpose does that serve to me? It, it's doing Rusev injustice when you're, you're doing so good at building Lana up, but you're, you're tearing down Rusev at the same time, a character that you invested a lot of time in and, and a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of money in and, and for what? Yeah. And I, I mean, it, the problem that I do have with Lana is that, you know, she's, been great standing on her own. I wish they would have just left it like that and not had, you know, the whole Ziggler storyline to begin with, you know, because now it it doesn't look like she's the strong, independent woman right off the bat because she just went right into the arms of someone else. Um, You know, so Ziggler being out has kind of been a good thing for Lana because we're just seeing her and she's the one that's coming out and kind of looking strong the whole time while Rusev and Summer... And poor Summer Rae, who, you know, went from being the dancing act to now being this butt of jokes thing. It's, she was capable of a lot more based on her NXT stuff, and it's just her character is just, it's been brutal. As a fan of hers, I've just been disappointed with what's been going on in her whole storyline. Right, because, you know, I, I think she can carry herself in a way that could get similar heat that, that Lana was getting with Rusev, but yeah, I think the 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 way for as good as they, they've done a lot of other stuff in the last couple months, that um, you know, this they I think they really really failed on, and I think that's a shame. Hopefully, they can turn it around, but uh, but I don't have high hopes. Um, the the next the next big thing from Raw that that I enjoyed uh, was uh, the Bray Wyatt Luke Harper. Uh, promo where you know Bray Wyatt talked about family and that uh, you know everybody relies on their family and and I and I love 
I love that they're actually making Bray Wyatt really seem like a heel. And, yeah. and really, you know, and, and because, I mean, people like me are still going to cheer him, but they they actually, you know, he talks about family and how everybody relies on their family and parents tell you all these things. And he goes, you know, your parents lie to you and the world's that bad and this and that. And he, and he actually he actually makes you feel uncomfortable. And, you know, that, that all that stuff with Roman Reigns last month made you feel uncomfortable. And that's the first time in a long time that they've had a character that has done that. And then, uh, you know, Luke Harper talking about how, you know, he was lost and, and Bray helped him find his way and, and that they've, they've united and, um, you know, and, and you see these two guys kind of set their target on uh, Roman Reigns and Dean Ambrose. You know, I, I'm intrigued by this. You know, there's there was at one point there was a lot of rumor that it was you know they were going to add Sting to it and a third member of the the Wyatt family. Um, that looks to be not the case now. Um, the, the kind of tease. I know uh, Adam Rose kind of teased that he was going to be transitioning out of that character, maybe kind of a Leo Kruger thing coming back. Mm-hmm. Uh, people assume that it was a, that he was going to be going into the Wyatt family. So I, I'm really intrigued over the next three weeks to see what happens uh, with with this. If they're going to keep it just Harper and Bray versus um, you know Shield Point Two, or or how they're going to do it. Yeah, this is a very intriguing storyline, which is great as a fan of Bray Wyatt. I know you and I have talked in the past about our big issues with how he's been booked over the past two years, but now he's finally getting the storyline that I think they should have been using from the start and kind of kept with, you know, here's this heel monster who has this cult-like following of a family, um, and they they had so much potential to just have him run through the roster with converts, and they just kind of let that go pretty early on. You know, we had the Daniel Bryan thing, um, which probably wasn't the best of ideas, given he was the most over person on the roster when they tried to make him the convert. Um, they should have started with, you know, smaller named people like the Adam Rose, Leo Kruger thing. And the other rumor coming out is that we might finally be seeing a Sister Abigail in the very near future. So for someone who, after WrestleMania, we were kind of confused with the direction he was going, it looks like Wyatt's finally getting the storyline that they really need to take and run with at this point. I'll be disappointed if they abandon it again so quickly. Yeah, I mean, I'm still confused on the on the logic behind him losing to the Undertaker, but that you know we we've gone over that you know time and time again. Uh-huh. But yeah, it, it's going to be it is going to be interesting to see if they stick to this and if they actually let it uh, breathe out. Obviously, uh, Eric Rowan going to be out for for a while yet with the uh, I think it was a, a torn bicep or something that he had, and it's mm-hmm. actually worse than they originally thought. So he's going to be out for some time. Um, I, I did read. Uh, uh, today that um, Bray Wyatt, Bo Dallas, the, the the Rotunda family, that their sister actually had a, a WWE tryout. So you know, not sure if that would be the sister Abigail character, or um, you know, obviously you know she would have to. I'm sure would have to spend some time uh, down in NXT, but it, but it, it obviously adds a long term, um, at least potential. To, to what they could continue to do to uh, evolve and work this Bray Wyatt character. But, um, 
what ultimately I hope to happen here is, yeah, you can bring back the Wyatt family, but don't make them as reliant. Again, like we talked about with Seth Rollins, don't make them as reliant on the other members of the family. Like Luke Harper can go out and have a match and still win a match by himself. Bray Wyatt can have a big feud and, and win in that feud by himself. He doesn't need Harper and Rowan to come out and save him in the steel cage match every time. Or, you know, Harper doesn't need Bray and Rowan to, uh, you know, to pull the ropes out and attack the guy on the outside. Let, let them be, let them stand on their own, but always have that in the back of your mind that there could be somebody, but they don't actually rely on them to do it. Yeah. I mean, it, it all depends. I, I, I see what you're saying, and I'm I'm on board with that. But at the same time, the reason why the Shield was so successful and worked like that was because they always had the advantage. And, uh, you know, that was why it was so frustrating to see them always win, even though they were putting on these fantastic matches, was because, you know, you always had JBL screaming about the numbers game, and um, it worked for them. It made them all look like... Uh, powerful team so I think it could work if they still do it that way but if they do it the way you said where they, they get wins on their own that's that's great too I mean they, they have a lot of talented wrestlers in that family already um, and you know Adam Rose's character hasn't really gone over well but the Leo Kruger character is, is really an interesting one if it if he were to join the family yeah it, it's definitely going to be something um to, to you know to definitely to keep our eyes on because there there is so much potential there with those guys that that are extremely talented you know it's been a while since you've seen guys that have that kind of look have that kind of feel um but are so um you know have so much potential to them uh one other thing Matt that I didn't touch on in, the, in these diva matches these women's matches is how cool is it to see not only women's wrestling and actually get a chance to, to have some, some decent time on the show, but how cool is it to see them actually using wrestling holds and, and winning by submission in some of these matches to me, that that has to be one of, to me, that's one of the more refreshing things of what they're doing right now. Yeah. I mean, it, I've always been a big fan of uh, submission moves when done right. And I mean, when, when they've done it, I, I don't, did you watch the um, NXT match that was Becky Lynch versus Sasha Banks for the belt? Yeah. I mean, at one point, Sasha had Becky in a hold that it looked like she legit popped her shoulder out of its socket the way she had. I mean, so all three of them using these submissions, um, it's just great to see because it, we've been so used to seeing, you know, the hair pulling and the slapping, and um, so now to see actual wrestling with the women, it's it's a breath of fresh air. Yeah, it certainly is. Um, you had you had Kevin Owens take on Randy Orton, and what what I thought was actually a really good match. Um, you had Sheamus uh, on commentary during the match, which which right away kind of said to me, "This is not going to be a clean finish," which I'm kind of okay yeah. with because. You know, I, I, they're they're trying to keep Randy Orton somewhat relevant, but in the in the same time, you don't want him you don't want him to lose. You don't want Kevin Owens to lose. I think both guys look very very strong in the match. Uh, you had uh, Sheamus 
you know, interfere. Randy Orton wins by DQ, um, which I know upset some people. It didn't really bother me because Kevin Owens didn't do anything wrong. Um, so so it's not like he got pinned. It's not like he's tapped out or anything. Um, and you, and you kind of knew over the last couple of weeks, the way things have been going, that we hadn't seen the end of Sheamus versus Randy Orton. I don't know. I don't know why they keep going back to it. I know they put on a, on, on decent physical matches, but I just don't see anything major, uh, coming out of it. But, uh, you know, Orton versus Owens, I thought was very, very good. Very, very entertaining match. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't really care for the finish, but I, my going in on my fear was that they were going to end with another Kevin Owens walkout, which I think would have been a lot worse. So um, this finish was probably not the worst way they could have. And um, Cesaro running in, you know, building that feud is, is always a good thing. You know, anytime Cesaro's on the TV is a good thing. So I'm really excited to see what Kevin Owens and Cesaro are going to do. I wish it was for the U.S. title. I think I had tweeted that, that um, it would have been great to see Cesaro get the belt from Cena, and that's why Kevin Owens was feuding with him as kind of a jealousy thing. But uh, I think either way, they're still going to have a fantastic story and put on a, a wonderful match at SummerSlam. I could not care less about Orton versus Sheamus for the, I think we're up to the 76th, time now i'm not entirely sure uh i think it's like 78 i think there was like a like a two-week period where we just kind of blacked out and forgot that it happened (laughs) um and then of course in the main event uh you had seth rollins versus john cena for the u.s title um extremely good match again you know we we talk about it it's almost like a broken record at this point um that when, when you know when Cena's been in the ring, it, it, he just keeps putting on these great matches. Which to me, I go, where was this for the past like seven, eight years? For one, but second off, I mean, you you, you got to tip the guy, tip your hat to the guy because it's not like he's wrestling the same guy all the time. I mean, Rollins, Cesaro, Owens, uh, you know, he's wrestled Stardust, he's wrestled Neville, he's wrestled Sami Zayn. I mean, he he's been in there with with so many guys and so many different styles, and he's he's done so so well with all of them. Uh, this one included. Uh, before we talk about the obvious, uh, you know, the the broken nose and the result of that, just this match alone, and and, and there were so many points where I thought, oh, Rollins is going to win. No, Cena is going to win. But how cool would it be to see Rollins walk out with both titles? And what could that do? And um, just there was so much intriguing stuff in this match, and it was a, it was a really, really, uh, it was a really good good match. Yeah, it was. Um, you know, it, it's tough to really find much criticism at this point. You know, the finishes are what the finishes are going to be. I, I don't really understand uh, where exactly they're going at this point, but um, you know, if like you said earlier, if we just kind of sit back and watch the matches and enjoy them for what they are, it's a whole lot easier to just, you know, let things transition. And uh, that's what I think I'm going to have to start doing when it comes to John Cena because I, I'm never going to understand what <laughs> what's going on. Yeah, and then, of course, you had the moment that, you know, at first I didn't I didn't really see what had happened. I don't know if I looked down for a minute. Um 
but Seth Rollins went, you know, did a did a knee to the face, and I don't know if he went too high. Cena came too low. Um, I watched the clip 15, 20 times, and I feel like every time I watch it, I think the opposite. Like, oh, Cena came too low. No, Rollins went too high. But either way, John Cena's nose. I mean, we've seen broken noses. You know, we've seen guys dislocate fingers, stuff like that. Um, I mean, this. I mean, it literally looked like his his nose imploded in his face. I mean, it, it's for a WWE injury. Um, it was really one of the more gruesome broken noses I've seen. You know, obviously, if you watch boxing or watch UFC, you're going to see stuff worse, but you don't. You don't expect to see that in the WWE, and and you know you had you had the doctor get in the ring right away. Doctor came in twice, and uh, you know to to Cena's credit, and 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 it's not it's not you know patting the guy on the back or trying to overinflate you know big match John or whatever the hell JBL calls him. Um, <laughs> you know for for I mean if you've ever been hit in the nose or in the face. I mean, you know how your eyes well up, and it's kind of hard to see. I've never had my nose broken, but I know people that have. And they say when it happens, um, you know, it's extremely painful, but you, you almost kind of lose your eyesight. And and you kind of felt like Cena was going through that in the, in the, you know, first about 30 seconds or so after it happened. He kind of found his way to the corner, was bleeding out. He, I think he was just trying to figure out where he was. Because, you know, to get hit that hard, it has to daze you. It truly does. And a huge credit to him, um, you know, for finishing the match. And credit to Seth Rollins as well for, you know, keeping your cool for whatever went wrong, whether it was him or whether it was Cena's fault, for the two guys in the ring to, to keep their calm, finish the match. And, uh, you know, and then, I mean, Cena obviously got the win and is still the U.S. champion. Um, but before we talk about, the the implications and what the injury means and stuff and the latest on it. Um, I mean, just, just credit to both guys. And I think that shows not only where Cena is, obviously, you know, what is a 12, 13 year veteran of the WWE, but for Seth yeah. Rollins, um, it just reinforces how great of a worker Seth Rollins is. Yeah. I'm watching it live. I was like, you, I didn't really think anything of it when we saw the need of the face because Rollins uses that move in matches often. So um, Lauren was watching with me, and she noticed at first that, you know, when Cena was in the corner, there was a lot of blood accumulating there. Um, and it would be interesting to see the conversation between those two because, uh, you know, it, it's tough to say both have put on so many matches at this point in their wrestling careers that I think, you know, it's tough to say who this one is, is on, whether Cena was too low or Rollins went up too high, but... Um, you have to credit Cena for finishing that match. And like you said, Rollins for, you know, continuing on with the match. They both still did the moves that I think they had set up. And uh, for Rollins to not do any further damage, you know, has to be acknowledged as well. And um, I will say this, for all the heat I was giving Owen tapping out to the STF, uh, you know, Rollins tapping out to it, that was the first time I think I'd seen Cena actually lock in the STF. So, um, yeah. <laughs> if all it takes is a broken nose, I mean, that one actually looked like Seth Rollins was in a hold 
that he could not escape and was in pain. So um, I mean, kudos to them for for putting on a fantastic match, even with Cena breaking his nose halfway through. Yeah, and maybe that tells you a little bit that Rollins might have gotten the knee a little high, because maybe that was Cena <laughs> kind of getting him back. I don't know, but yeah, that that was definitely a pretty stiff uh, finisher, and and you know Rollins tapped pretty freaking quick. Um, yeah. So you know, I think I think there was definitely a, a bit of a shoot in that one. But um, today, I guess it was announced. I don't know uh, who announced it first or who broke it first, but uh, Cena, I guess, had had emergency surgery to alleviate some breathing problems surrounding it. I guess he's going to need uh, some more surgery in the future. Um, he has already been pulled from uh, house shows this weekend. I, I've, I've read that he's been pulled from Raw this coming Monday and may, Monday miss, uh, may miss a week or two, maybe three. Um, so all of a sudden, you know, we're, we're three and a half weeks from SummerSlam. If he misses three weeks of Raw, he misses the entire rest of this push. Um I, I, you got to you got a question now, at least a little bit. Is John Cena going to be there uh, for SummerSlam? I mean, it's it's a, it's a bad time to get hurt. Um, you know, what, what does this mean? I, I don't think they'll. Stri- you know, if it's only a couple weeks, I don't think you'll see him get stripped of the U.S. title. But uh, you know, you're you kind of went all in on this Cena versus Rollins. Matt, do you think there's a chance John Cena doesn't make it to SummerSlam? Man, it's it's tough to say that there is because you know knowing Cena, he's gonna want to be there. This is you know the WrestleMania this summer, and he's in a title match program. You know whether he was booked to win or lose, he's gonna want to be in there and do that. Um, so it's it's tough to see him actually missing SummerSlam. Uh, I think initial reports were saying that he wasn't supposed to miss TV time at all. So um, reading today that he was scratched from Raw is very concerning about what they're going to do moving forward with this whole thing. Uh, you know, not to do the you know retrospect or hindsight is twenty twenty, but it would be a lot better at this point if the U.S. title was on somebody else because then we could still get a program for that set up. Right, because you're you're in a situation where your Intercontinental Championship is on a guy that's out with a staph infection. You don't know when he's going to return. Now you have your United States title, which has been, you know, almost equally as important as your World Heavyweight Championship on a guy who was going to be in a match with the with the World Heavyweight Champion, and now that looks to be in question. So, um, and you don't have a Divas match titles match set. So you're, you're all of a sudden looking. At you know what what titles are going to be on the line at, at your second biggest pay per view of the year? Um, yeah, I I mean I would be really hard pressed. I know there's been um, a lot of people um, asking, uh, do do we think that if Cena is going to miss SummerSlam, I'd be really hard pressed to see John Cena miss miss a SummerSlam. Um, you know he's 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 been hurt uh, at previous times. He he hasn't missed a SummerSlam. Good Lord, and, and I don't know. I don't even know how long. This is usually yeah. where we look to you. I mean, it's got to be years and years. But um, you know, I, I guess there is a legit, a legit chance he misses it. I, I find it hard to believe that he will. And now the question is, too, if you're the WWE, I know you have to have a plan B, kind of in the back of your head, starting right now. But how quick do you pull the trigger on it? Um, I mean, I guess you know this Monday you could get by 
because everybody knows his nose is broken. So you could roll with just Rollins talking about that this week, and, and hopefully by about next week at this time you'll have a better idea of whether or not Cena, because if, if Cena can't go, then you're going to only have two weeks to build up a, a, a title match. And who's it going to be? Is it going to be Ambrose? Is it going to be, you know, who do you put in that spot? Uh, and 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 so I don't I don't really want to speculate on that, but you know I I hope Cena is back by that. I, I look forward to this match and look forward to you know the discussion of who we're going to see win that match at SummerSlam. Yeah, I mean they're kind of booked into a corner now because most everyone else that would make sense being in this title picture is already in a storyline with someone else. So it. it it's really hard to imagine Cena missing this one um, for any reason. I mean, this is a guy who wrestled SummerSlam two years ago and it looked like he had a tennis ball inserted in his elbow. So oh, I don't think grossest, that, that's one of the grossest injuries, man. <laughs> I don't think we'll, we'll see him miss this. You know, even if he has to break out the, the Cody Rhodes face mask, I think <laughs> we'll see John Cena wrestle at SummerSlam in the program that was supposed to be. I would tend to think so. Now, you know, if he if he does make it back, even if he has to wear a mask, something like that, um, you know, I, I imagine this is going to be a, a title versus title match, I think, is what they'd be building to. If, if he is indeed still hurt, if he has to wear a mask, and there's knowledge that he's going to need more surgery, does that make you tend to lean that Seth Rollins might walk out with both titles? Or do we still kind of go on the assumption that this is going to be seen as 16th World Heavyweight Championship victory? Um, I was under the impression that with Cena going over clean on Raw anyway, it was kind of leaning towards the Rollins winning the title at SummerSlam, um, you know, finally getting that credible victory that he desperately needs as champion because right now he's been booked as the weakest WWE world heavyweight champion I think we've ever seen. So um, I think even before the nose break, that's what that was leading to. Um, I do think we'll see Cena, you know, tie, is he going to tie Flair's record or would this be to pass Flair's record at this point? I don't, I don't know. I mean, we know he's going to get at least 16. And, he's at least going to tie Flair. Right. So at at this point, it's kind of like the Nikki Bella holding the Divas Championship is, I mean, we know she's going to hold it and beat AJ's record. At this point, why why not have Cena break the record? I mean, I know he's not as good. You know, his career is not as good as Ric Flair was, but in the same time, Ryan and I have talked about, like when Bret Hart, and Hulk Hogan um, won their fifth WWE championship, you couldn't believe that a guy had hit five times as the WWE champion. But yeah. what Rand, Randy Orton's won it, what, 13 times, and Triple H has won it 12 times. I mean, it, it, the, the landscape of today's wrestling is so much different than it was back then. So I, I, don't, think, I don't think if Cena wins 17, I don't think anybody's going to look at him and say, yes, John Cena was a better professional wrestler than Ric Flair. Uh, I mean, yeah. I know I won't. Um, right. But it, it kind of goes to, to what The Undertaker said a week ago, that streaks are meant to be broken. Um, and I know Ric Flair has a, has a lot of respect for John Cena. 
And you had the moment when they retired the big gold belt that Cena handed it to uh, Ric Flair and said, no, this is yours. So I think there's a lot of mutual respect there. So it wouldn't surprise me if John Cena, and I wouldn't necessarily have a problem with John Cena getting 17. I know it's not going to change how I feel about Ric Flair. I mean, Ric Flair did it across, you know, three, four different companies and across the world. You know, John Cena did it within the WWE where, you know, I think still what Ric Flair did, whether Cena finishes with 17 or finishes with 22, I don't think it really matters. I'm still going to look at Ric Flair as the greatest world champion because of the, 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 the scope of how he did it. Yeah, and I mean, it, it's tough to imagine them not getting Cena to that point um, just because of what he's done for the company in recent years. You know, love him or hate him, he's he's done a lot to, you know, keep the, the WWE as profitable as it has been, or, you know, however profitable that may be. Um, I did just look it up. Last SummerSlam without John Cena was in 2003, so really hard to think that he's not going to be there this year. Yeah, very hard hard to believe that. Ratings for Raw this week, uh, again, down. Uh, they were down from last week. Uh, but but I think overall, again, you, you're in the middle of summer and um, you know people are on vacation, things like that. Uh, hour 1 did 3.42 million. Hour 2, 3.75 Hour three, 3.83. So um, I, I've always said that, yes, the, the, the actual physical number um, may not be the best thing. It may not be ideal. But this, is, this also isn't the attitude area. You're not going to see those five, six, sevens, and eights. It's just not going to happen. Uh, anytime you can gain viewers throughout the program, especially hour two to hour three, I personally think it's a good thing. I like I like the show. I think overall, uh, like I said, really the only problem I had was the uh, Rusev segment. Uh, overall, I'd give this thing like a solid B, B plus. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd say that's that's fair, a B plus. Um, they're struggling with viewers again, and it's um, you know the summer lull. It's I, I think they they need to take it back down to two hours and relatively soon and I think they could mm-hmm. if they got rid of a lot of you know the recaps and stuff like that um, because it, you know it, you really only need the two hours and I think the viewership would be a lot stronger but to, to ask people to commit three hours worth of, of viewing wrestling um, you know to ask people to commit three hours of viewing anything really um, it, it's tough these days so I, I think we'll see them go back to two hours um, in in the future, but uh, but I thought the overall raw itself was good, um, and I, I haven't thought that in some time. So yeah, no, three hours three hours is a long investment. I mean, three hours is a long investment for a movie, more or less to, to get somebody to tune in to watch wrestling each and every week. Um, you know, especially on pay per view weekends. I mean, think think about. Think about- SummerSlam weekend because you're going to have the NXT show on Saturday night, which now, uh, you know, you, you and Ryan are going to be at legacy wrestling. I'm not going to be, we we're going to, I'm sure you, I know you're going to, you're going to keep reminding me about that for the next month. Um, 
But uh, then, you know, so so the, the day of SummerSlam, I mean, really think about this. You, know, you guys have that show, which the last time we went there was, you know, about a three-hour show. Um, so you're going to guys have that. And then Sunday, you're going to want to watch the NXT show, whether you do it Saturday night or do it on Sunday. And then we've talked about doing a special live three-count Thursday broadcast uh, that Sunday to get, uh, you know, calls from people and th- things to – you know what people think is going to happen on the show because it kind of has that WrestleMania feel. Um, so then you're going to have that. You're going to have a, watch the NXT show, which will be two hours. Then you have a four-hour SummerSlam, and then you got to turn around on Monday and watch a three-hour Raw. I mean, that's in, in a three-day period, that's nine hours of wrestling. I mean, that the WWE is asking you to commit to. So um, it, it starts to really show on a weekend like that that. The WWE needs to needs to bring Raw uh, back to uh, back to the two hour time. Um, let, let, let's let's just talk about the SummerSlam for a little bit. Of course, they, they talked about it being four hours long, but in the interest of our time here on the show, um, you know, do you think? And this is kind of the question a lot of people have been having, or a complaint, whatever, uh, that saying that the Brock Lesnar versus Undertaker being the main event is showing a lack of faith in today's talent you know do, is that do, you know do you feel that way personally i don't see it that way because many times at SummerSlam, you know i think it's summer slam 90 uh really sticks out in my head is that that's like my favorite summer slam of all time um but they, they've oftentimes summer slams have had a double main event so you have this one and then you have you know john cena versus seth rollins which Taker versus Lesnar is to get eyes on the product, to get network buys, to get people watching. Um, you know, I, I, I think that, um, you know, you, you have a situation where with, with, with I, 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 don't, I don't think that this shows any lack of faith in today's roster. I, I think people are overreacting to it, much like people are overreacting to Stone Cold being on the cover of 2K16. There's certain things, you know, they're trying to sell the video game. And that's going to sell the video game more than having, I don't know, Roman Reigns on the cover. Like, that's just, that's just how it is. So having uh, having the... Undertaker versus Lesnar match as the main event, you know, that's that's bookending a huge weekend of wrestling. That's all it is. We we have a we have a listener on the chat here that says um, having it having the main event is not making it uh, making the talent look, look lesser. It's just making the streak, uh, the the beating obviously the Undertaker streak being bigger uh, than the world title. I mean, again, it's about buys. And when you have a four-hour pay-per-view and it's, you know, towards the end of the summer, I think the WWE is just trying to get more people's eyes on the product. Matt, your thoughts on does this show any lack of faith in today's roster? Um, Yes and no. Um, Ryan and I talked briefly about this last week. Um, I don't think it's, you know, saying that, it's a lack of faith in general. I just think we're kind of going down a slippery slope here 
in that if WWE keeps doing this, as in showcasing, you know, the classic wrestlers over their current superstars in, you know, five, ten years when the Attitude Era wrestlers are no longer able to put on these matches, they're not going to have that same kind of, you know, star power to, to, you know, reach into the well for. So I think it's not so much that it's, you know, a lack of faith. It's just I, I think that they'd be better served to kind of promote who they have at this point. Um, the, the video game, you know, not necessarily, but um, I, I don't know. It, it's tough because I can see both sides of the argument. I, I do agree with you that it, it's just to bring in the ratings, but they, they do need to have that these you know rising stars and showcase them now so that in 10, 15 years, if they need that ratings boost, they have these guys who are popular now that they can call back on. Yeah, very true. Um, I, I guess that's an angle of it that I uh, that I hadn't really thought about. Um, real quick, as we only have a few minutes left on the show, um, you know, we we have kind of turned away from tough enough. Um, it, it was it was kind of hard to watch, even when when Patrick Clark, who will be again live on the show at nine thirty Eastern time, in the first segment next Thursday night, who was eliminated uh, last week, uh, we we had kind of we've we've turned away from the show. Uh we we yeah. were very excited about Tough Enough coming back, but the way they're doing it, you know, we haven't liked it. We've talked about it week after week. Um but I want to talk about the ratings and th- these are the ratings each and every week. Episode 1 did 1.2 million, episode 2 1.05, so it dropped there. Came back up episode 3 1.22 million. Episode 4 dropped below a million at 997,000. Episode 5 did 1.1 million, so the third biggest show. And then this week, dropped to its lowest number ever, and that was at 980,000. I think a lot of people, like us, turned their back on it when when Patrick, the most legitimate contender, was, was, was voted off. And again, like we've said, you know, like I've said, that, you know, that that's really the tipping point is this is this fan vote, but then I know you and I were concerned and 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 Ryan was concerned and we all talked about this, um, you know for for people that don't know we're we're three, you know Ryan and I and Matt we've all been friends since, since high school we've been friends for well over ten years, and we talk all the time, um, all the time, <laughs> all the time. I mean we're constantly. Uh, we have like a, a just a Facebook message between the three of us that just is going at all times of the day, and you know we talked about this. We're like we were so we were so ready to see how far the rating would drop after Patrick got eliminated, and then the Hulk Hogan stuff happened. It's like great now everybody's going to tune in to see who the new judge is and what they do. Did they mention Hogan? None of this, and they had their lowest rating ever. So not even the questions surrounding Hulk Hogan could bring people enough to watch Tough Enough this week. That has to tell the WWE that, you know, what they're doing is not working. Do I think this show is going to be back on USA? Probably not. Do I think it could be a, a network exclusive? Possibly. But I think what they need to do is go back to the old formula because I think that's what wrestling fans want. Um, but in the same time, too, and as I, I've been listening to – 
JR's podcast with Patrick Clark and just other people, uh, other wrestling podcasts that have talked about it, there hasn't been a star that came from winning tough enough. The, the, only, the only big name to come out of winning tough enough is John Morrison, who's now Johnny Mundo in Lucha Underground. The people that are still around that, from tough enough are guys that didn't win. The Miz, Ryback. Those are guys that didn't win but came onto a career. Because remember, this is a reality show. This isn't a wrestling show. And, um, you know, I, like I didn't watch it this week. I'm not watching it anymore. I said I voted for ZZ. I went on and voted for ZZ because at this point, why not? Why not? You know, and, and Miz, I know a lot of people got mad that Miz saved Amanda because she's hot. Well, at least he's using his save. Because yeah. you've had Daniel Bryan and Paige multiple weeks when we were watching the show that said, well, uh, there's two people I'd want to save up there, so I'm not going to save either of them. Well, I think I think you said it last week, Matt. Well, if, if Daniel Bryan saves one and Paige, they were probably both thinking of the same two people, so she can save the other one, and that third person doesn't deserve to be there. Deezy goes home. Right. Problem solved. You use your saves for what they're meant to be used for. You know, at least Miz used his. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. I uh, I cut the end because I I had voted. Um, <laughs> I voted for Amanda, and she would have lost if not for Miz. So, um, it's just the whole thing is just turning into a big joke um, and considering that WWE already canceled Swerved which was you know actually a good Wait, show. Wait they canceled Swerved? Yes. Son of a bitch. So they canceled Swerved because the, the talent was kind of complaining that it was you know messing with their livelihood. I can't imagine Tough Enough's doing much good for their livelihood. I mean it's We've said over and over, you can't really buy Paige as a face anymore on Raw if you tune into the show and you see her just, you know, screaming at everyone and interrupting everyone on their final pleas and, you know, yelling at Miz for using his save after she opened the show being smug and saying how it was our fault that Patrick got voted off because we're the ones that voted. And so it's it's like, is, who is Paige at this point? You know, she's not she's not very good at being a face, and for whatever reason, they don't really want her to be a heel. So it's just it's ruined her for me. Um, the only person on the show that I, I'm really like is Miz. Yeah, you know Jericho serves no purpose. Renee Young no. serves no purpose. I mean Daniel Bryan plugged his book. It works. I saw it today at the New York Times bestseller. Um, but yeah, Paige, uh, you know, to put it mildly, is a bitch. Yeah. I mean, truthfully, and I and I understand there's time for judges to talk and there's time for judges to ask questions. But I know, uh, you know, we talked about it when we had Daria on a couple weeks ago. Um, you know, when Daria was trying to make her final plea, Paige interrupted her three times. We see that week after week after week. It's like, just shut up, just shut up for once. Let them yeah. talk. Even even when even when Miz again. Say what you will about it. He saved Amanda because she's hot. Well, that's his choice. He has a save, and he did it. And she's, like, calling him a moron because he actually used his save. I, like, I mean, I literally just want to reach through. And, and I was really liking. I think all three of us were really liking what she had been doing in the WWE product. 
over the last couple months, and now it, you know it's it's really kind of turning me anti-page. Even on even when I watch Total Divas, you know, whenever yeah. she's talking, I'm just just like just shut up. I just don't want to hear your voice anymore. And, I, and from reading Twitter, um, we're not the only ones that feel this way. You know, there's a lot of people that that really uh, don't like Paige at this point. Yeah, and I mean, she, she's not doing her, herself any favor engaging in arguments with the Twitter fans at this point. You know, certain wrestlers can pull that off because they're heels. Like Kevin Owens is fantastic on Twitter, but he's not supposed to be a likable character on Raw so he can get away with, you know, mocking the people that mock him. Paige, you know, getting into these arguments, that's not what a face does. I, I it's like she just doesn't have a grasp on the character she's supposed to be at this point. Right, absolutely. And real quick, Matt, we are up on the end of the show, but uh, the WWE had their second quarter uh, financial earning reports. Uh, the the network subscriber counts came out today. Uh, they're currently at 1.156 paid subscribers. That was as of June 30th. Uh, it is down from the 1.327 they announced the day after WrestleMania. But the good news here is this, that the WWE Network, since its launch, has done over 2 million paid subscribers, with about 61% of them uh, still active subscribers to the network. And there's actually been, a re- been reports that they're at least close to, or possibly even more, uh, making more money now on pay-per-views, I guess. Um, I-, I don't know how, but maybe just because of, of you know, you-, you might lose the having to pay the, the satellite companies and this and that. But they actually uh, are beginning to make money uh, and possibly even more money on pay-per-view uh, or your monthly uh, special events, whatever you want to call them, um, in the in the network era. But um, they're they're making actually more return on them now with the network than they were with pay-per-view. So at least some positive signs of the network. I know at times we've been concerned that uh, you know you see people taking advantage of the you know, you could you could cancel and, and get back on for the free month or whatever, and you keep doing it. Um, and and you, you have the cancel WWE Network movement, which seemed to have worked extremely well for those people. Um, it, it, there's at least some positive signs that the network, at least in the uh, in the relatively short to midterm, is going to be around for a while. Yeah, that, I mean that's rewarding to see. Like, as for people like us who you know are constantly watching the network. Um, and, you know, everyone that I've talked to that that has finally gotten the network is just like, I can't get enough of what's on here. So um, seeing the numbers go up is a good thing because it's, it's just reassurance that this is going to be around at least for some time for us to enjoy um, and, uh, you know, to, to get the pay-per-views at an affordable price. You know, I don't think we'll ever see them go back to that format. You know, whether the network goes away or not, I think we're – we're going to see it at least stick around for just the pay-per-views. Um, but, you know, I, I hope people just continue to get it because I don't want it to go away. Yeah, no, I mean, this this is the first time really in my entire life that I that I have watched all 12 um, the pay-per-views in a year because it just wasn't affordable. I mean, I'd get WrestleMania, I'd get SummerSlam, usually get a Royal Rumble, um, you know, and, and you usually, you know, work out, try and find a group of five friends where, uh, you know, you could get the five, the four big ones every every year and, and split the cost. But it wasn't feasible for, for people to to get all of them. So 
Um, you know, the, the network has been awesome. I watch it every day at lunch, whether it's, you know, old pay-per-views or current content. Like, I had been watching Swerve, but I guess that's gone. Um, yeah. But uh, Which really disappoints me because I'm a huge Jackass fan. But, um, but yeah, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I've been super thrilled with the network. I've loved every minute of it. Uh, Matt, uh, bringing us to the end of the show here, just let everybody know where they can find you on Twitter. Tell them about... Uh, you know, all the woman of the week stuff we're doing over there on Instagram. Sure. I'm on Twitter. It's at three C T the letter a Philly as in short for Philadelphia. And then the number eight. So three C T affiliate. I run the three count Thursday, Instagram page, Instagram.com slash three count Thursday. Um, we have a focal where we highlight a woman in wrestling once a week, uh, be it, professional or on the indie scene this week it is Hanya the Huntress who we saw at the Legacy Show. Um, I don't know who next week is going to be just yet, but I did put a teaser out on Twitter earlier, so if you follow me there, you might see it. Um, we also put other pictures up um, when we're at the live shows, as well as you know every once in a while a picture of a birthday or something like that. So Instagram.com slash 3CountThursday. Um, if you want to see a highlighted woman wrestler and learn about them before they get their big call-ups. Hi, very cool, man. And uh, thanks thanks again, Matt. It was awesome, uh, the interview with Del Wilkes and, and talking wrestling again here back in the saddle after a week off. And, uh, and we will talk to you again soon, buddy. Yep, I'll talk to you soon. Have a good rest of the week. Hi, right, you too. So again, uh, that, that was Matt, and, and thanks again. We can't say enough thank you to Del Wilkes uh, for, for joining us on in the first segment. A, a huge, huge honor for us as, as wrestling fans to just listen to those stories. I know Matt tweeted it. I seconded it. Um, we could listen to him talk all day. We really could. Just such, such great stories uh, from the Patriot tonight. And um, thank you all for listening. Uh, you can follow me. I am at Big Jim Sports on Twitter, our co-host Ryan, who uh, – who called in earlier and he's on vacation. You can follow him on Twitter at R Y N Eagle, R Y N E A G L E. And we as a collective group are at three count Thursday on both Twitter and Instagram and facebook.com slash three count Thursday. So at three count Thursday, facebook.com slash three count Thursday. We are every Thursday night live here on NGSCSports.com. Stay tuned to our Twitter page. Uh, there's, there's, we're going to be transitioning to a new, uh, format for the shows that uh, it'll be a new a new way to listen a new way to call in uh, but you'll still be able to get us uh, each and every Thursday night uh, 9:30 p.m. Eastern time on NGST Sports uh, you can visit my our show as well as my Tuesday night sports show go to ngscsports.com slash big dash gym dash sports again ngscsports.com slash big-gym-sports uh, or if you just go to the main page at NGSC, you can find the show pages at the top. Also, we are on WrestlingInformant247.com Check out us as well as Wrestling Informant Radio Outside Interference and more over there. You can hear this show each and every Friday night at 11 p.m. Eastern Time on ArenaSportsNet.com You can podcast our show directly by searching 3 Count Thursday in your podcast store. Folks, Thanks again for listening. Tonight was a an, an awesome honor for us to be able to interview the Patriot. We have Patrick Clark on next Thursday night in the first segment. 
So uh, stay tuned for that again to Facebook.com slash Three Count Thursday for all of the uh, announcements and in detail and at Three Count Thursday on Twitter and Instagram. Have a great week, folks. And as always, go for the pin. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.